Good morning. How are we all? I'm not LeBroning today, sorry about that. Feeling much more myself. Those of you that weren't here last week, it's okay. Good to have you here this week. Over the last uh, six or so weeks, we've been teaching a series we called Functional Faith. And the idea of the title of that series really comes from a shift that's happened in the fitness industry, where uh, much of the fitness industry is no longer about uh, the beach muscles and having shoulders like boulders, but rather a, a shift towards what you do inside the box, what you do inside the gym, how does that translate and how, how do you make that, that, that the gains, the improvements, the, the, uh, how do you make them work functionally in your everyday life. And ultimately, that's the idea behind why we gather here on a Sunday, that we would actually learn something that's gonna build our faith, but not build our faith so we can somehow, you know, make one hour on a Sunday better, but actually we can take what, what God's speaking to us about and go out there, you know, beyond the, the, the four walls, uh, Monday through Saturday and have our faith functioning in every area of our life, in our homes, in, in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, with our finances, in our relationships. And, uh, you know, taught a bunch of, of stuff. Really the, the idea that if our faith is functioning, then shift happens. We taught a message called, it's not what it is, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. In, in, in as much as that often uh, we can have circumstances that we can see circumstances that we look at, but if we just look at them through our own experience, through our own understanding, through our own perception, then we actually can miss what God's up to. We can miss what God's actually doing because what God's doing is even more of a reality than what's happening in our lives. It is what it is, but if we look and our faith is functioning, we can understand it's not always what it seems. God may be saying no to, to, to certain things that you're asking and you think, well, that's a bit harsh, God. You know, God's a bit stingy, but sometimes God says no to us in seasons of our life to prepare us for things down the line. Sometimes He says no to us to, to protect us for things down the line. And if our faith is functioning, we'll have a better insight into some of those things. It is what it is but it's not what it seems. We taught a message called the frame game. One of the most powerful and important things to understand, we take it right back to the beginning of the Bible. When, when the writer of the book of Genesis describes the creation of the, of the heavens and the earth, he talks about the fact that God, the raw materials that God used of all the raw materials that He had access to, the raw materials that He chose to build the world was His Word, that He framed the world by His Word. And it gives us the opportunity if our faith is functioning, not just to speak about our circumstances, but instead to speak to our circumstances that we can have things going on in our life. And instead of saying to our friend, oh, you know, the housing market's doing this, we can say, listen, God's doing this. Oh, you know, my boss is doing this. Yeah, but what's God, what's God doing? What's God saying about that? And framing our world with the same raw materials that God used to frame the world. Shift happens when our faith is functioning. And uh, this morning, the message I wanna teach, it's not directly kind of packaged in this series. We've, we've finished this series. It's kind of a standalone message, but it's very much a continuation of this idea of our faith functioning. Now, if you missed any of those uh, six messages, um, you can uh, download our app. You can listen back through the podcast. Even if you heard them uh, and you were here, 
it's great revision. It's great to get this stuff just uh, uh, churning over in our hearts and our minds. So I encourage you to do that. But this morning, I wanna teach a message that I've called the question that changes everything. Now, I have to uh, admit to you up front that the, that the title of this message is actually a little bit misleading. Because if I'm honest with you, and I am most of the time, if I'm honest with you, the, the, the true, um, there's a lawyer in our church, so I have to be honest most of the time. Uh, if, if I'm honest with you, the, 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 the title of today's message should actually be the answer that changes everything. Because it's most of the time, it's the answer to the questions that God asks us that changes everything, not merely the questions He asks us. He'll lob a question down our end of the court, but how we return that is often the determining thing, not the actual question in and of itself. Earlier this year, um, I was hanging out with uh, some, some new people I hadn't met before. And invariably, people like to ask the question, so what do you do? Now, I don't like that question. I think it's far too one dimensional, but people ask it and I answer it. You know, um, I say I lead a church. Now, you know, I say I lead a church. Most people don't know how to follow up that particular conversation. Like they just, just stops them in their tracks. I could say ideal heroin and it would be a far less awkward conversation most of the time. I say I'm a pimp in Northbridge and they'd be like, really, that's fascinating. Tell me about it. I say lead a church and it's just like, the cone of silence. They don't know what to do with that. And, um, and, so, but, but I, and I don't like to let people off easily. You asked the first question. I gave you an honest, honest answer. You weren't expecting the answer. If you don't expect the answer, don't ask the question. Just ask me what size shoes I'm wearing. That'll be easy one. Wow. Ten and a half. All right, all right. I lead a church. Huh. Okay. That's what they say. Okay. And, and I get like a, you know, there's a kaleidoscope of, of, of follow-ups to that. This one I'd never heard before. They said, hmm. Okay, it's interesting. Um, but what do you do for your paid job? And then all of a sudden, I'm the one that's caught a little bit off guard. I'm thinking to myself, this is my paid job. Like, huh? And, I, and so I'm kind of having to translate or try to translate what they mean when they say, what, what's your paid job? And, and as best as I can understand, they, they were making the presumption that there's no way that someone could, could put food on their table and clothes on their back and a roof over their head uh, leading a church. Because the prevailing assumption in Western culture among unchurched people is that, is that all churches are, are, are itty bitty, tiny, that all churches um, are only comprised of your grandma and that your grandma doesn't have a cent to give, unlike Louis's grandma. And so how could you possibly be leading a church and that be something you're actually paid in some sustainable way to do? That's the best I could understand. Now, by the way, unfortunately, that's true of many churches, that they are small, they are older, they are declining, and many of them are shutting up their doors. And whilst that may be the reality, I'm just, let me just a sidebar here. Whilst that may be the reality of some churches, it's not God's plan 
for the church. In fact, Jesus declared that I will build my church, build, not maintain, not tear down, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you think about the church, let's think about Jesus' intention, not the prevailing culture. But I understand there's evidence to suggest as to why a lot of people think that the only show in town when it comes to church is small, old and and in decline on life support. Uh, They didn't ask this next question to me, but but I, thinking back, I wonder when I said to them, no, no, that's what I do for like a full-time job. And yes, I'm paid uh, to do it. I don't have another paid gig. This, that's what I do. You ask me what I do, that's what I do. That's my paid do. And uh, I wonder if they ask themselves the question, why does anyone come? Like, okay, so you, you, you're somehow deriving some level of income leading a church. That blows my mind a little bit. Tell me though, why does anyone come? Like, it, it's Sunday morning, right? Like, and they, they, they come to like your church. They'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, why? And see, I was, an, I was an annual leave last Sunday and I understand the question. Because Sunday morning, I had options. Lots of options. Lots of options. In a, in a, in a time or a place or an era where you didn't have transportation, you had limited options. Man, I got a Vespa, I can travel in a 10 kilometre radius anytime I want. I got options, baby. <laughs> I got Netflix, I got NBN, I got, ah man, I got options. I got little veggie patch, bees, caterpillars to squash, options, man. And, uh, but if someone was to ask you specifically, even maybe about today, you know, turn up tomorrow, hanging around the water cooler, People do that anymore. I work from home. Uh, and they say, what'd you do yesterday morning? Oh, I went along to my church. Why? How would you answer that? What would you say? You could say, I went there to offer a sacrifice of praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because He's worthy, brother. Which theologically is correct, but don't be that guy. <laughs> Probably better that you say something like, well, my kids really uh, like Elevate Kids. Okay, cool, it's great. Yeah, here's what they do, but okay. I really like the music. And by the way, music team killed it today. Killed. That third song, man, alive. Wow. Yeah, I reckon. That third song, I'm so glad I wrote that. So good. Wasn't sure if it was going to work, but whew, that thing flew, man. Spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> and 
<laughs> it's a good thing I didn't sing it. Woo! Um, you know, you might say, oh, the music's really great. Okay, cool, you know, fantastic. Okay, I would like the coffee. You know, it'd be just like so very um, banal. No, oh, yeah, I like the coffee. Okay, but you know, whatever. You might have a real, you know, maybe, maybe you even uh, like the preaching. You might say that to them. That'll blow their minds entirely. But, uh, you might, but you might even just say, oh, I really like the people. Like, got some really great friends there and we hang out. It's cool. It, honestly, just put, push pause for a second and, and what, just think for a moment, what might be your answer? They're gonna catch you off guard with the question. Let's say, what did you do yesterday? On the weekend, on Sunday morning, went on to my church. Why? What would you say? Just think, think about that for a moment. And the reason I'm, I'm encouraging you to think about that is because actually there's an, there's an opening there. There's an opportunity there. There's an insight that can be given there as to, what, as to why you being part of a church is important and how you answer that might actually be an on-ramp to, 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 to blowing their mind about the reality of what a church can be versus their perception of what they have assumed maybe a church is. It's an important answer when you're asked the question, why are you part of a church? Why are you following Jesus? Now, if you pop open your Elevate app, if you've got it, if you haven't got it, you can download it, App Store, Google Play. Push the Bible tab and it'll take you to Mark chapter 10. Now, Mark was one of the guys that kind of you know, wrote down the life and times of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And in chapter 10, uh, pick up the story where Jesus is walking along and some of his, his followers, aka his, his disciples, are following with him. And he's starting to tell them about how things are gonna play out in his life. They were expecting one type of, of Jesus, one type of, of King of Kings, one type of Saviour of the world. They thought He was gonna come and set up a new political system. He was gonna, he was gonna upend the, the Roman Republic and get rid of the wogs from Jerusalem. He was gonna establish God's rule and God's reign in, in, in the houses of politics, uh, in um in, in, the, in, that, in, in Israel, that part of the world. And instead, Jesus was walking along and He was telling them that, hey, uh, in, in, in a couple of years' time, I'm gonna be uh, accused of a crime I haven't committed. I'm gonna be put to death on a cross that I didn't deserve. And, and then I'm gonna rise from a, a tomb that I'm only gonna borrow. And I'm gonna go back to where I came from in the first place, which was seated next to God in heaven at the right side of the Father. Now, I don't blame the disciples for, for, for not quite getting it because this was a lot to take in. Not only did it go contrary to what they expected Jesus was gonna do, it actually didn't make sense of, of what any king is meant to do. No king is meant to be put before a, a, a jury and, and found guilty of crimes he didn't commit and, and hung on a cross. That's, that's shame, it's not not meant to work that way. And so and they're, so they're trying to get their heads around it. What, 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 what? And these, and these two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they, they, they wanted to kind of get ahead of the curve. Well, you know, if all this, if all this bad stuff's happening, before it all goes south, maybe we, maybe we can kind of get our foot in the door. And so James and John, they were about to ask Jesus when He gets back to heaven, at the right hand of the Father, can they sit next to Him 
You know, it's like the cool kid in class. Can I sit next to you on the bus? Can I? So, so okay, Jesus, all right, all right. You're going to get killed. And, 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 but, but we like the bit that you're going to get back to heaven. That suits us. That, 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 that's, that's the glamorous part. We like that. So when you do, can we have first dibs? Can we, can we be at the front of the, of the line? That's what they're about to ask him. James and John, Zebedee's sons come up to him, teachers, we have something you want to do for us. It's interesting. That's only as far as some people's prayers go, something to do for us. Jesus said, what is it? I'll see what I can do. Now, I'm part of a swim squad. I, I, I compete in triathlon. I'm part of a swim squad made up of, of, of various triathletes. And um, we swim just uh, down the road, the Aqualife Centre in Eastwick Park, uh, three mornings a week, 5.30 a.m., 12 months of the year, outdoor pool. Yeah. And, um, and we, we book our coach uh, who runs the squad, he books three lanes, lanes one, lane two, and lane three. And, and the reason there's three lanes is that the lanes are graded. Lane one is the nufties lane. Lane one is the remedial lane. Lane one is the people who are just trying to graduate from, from kicking with your hands on the side of the pool lane, okay? That's lane one. Lane two is, you know, got a bit of game. You, you don't look like Michael Phelps yet, but you don't look like the people in lane one either. And so that's lane two. And then lane three, lane three are the, are the people who are revered in our, our swim squad. They just and do things that, that, that only fish were designed to do. And so, so there's a three lane system. Lane one, uh, slow, they, we don't use that word, <laughs> but it's true. Lane two, uh, not as slow and, and lane three, fast. Um, and uh, you could progress, this may be 10, 15 people in each, each lane. You could progress over the course of time. You know, you might start sort of 10th in, in that lane in, in May and then come July, you've, you've, you've worked your way up because you didn't push the snooze button and you actually turned up and, and got in the pool and got swimming. And you maybe, you know, you've progressed up the lane. You can look at the pace clock. You know, when the coach says do this session, you can compare it to the time that you did when you did that session uh, two months ago and have I improved on my times? And, and it's all good. We love progress. We, 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 we don't train to maintain, we train to progress. <clears throat> but the Blue Ribbon Day, the, the, the day that is even better than jumping ahead of a couple of your, of your uh, fellow swim squad members, the day that's even better than shaving a couple of seconds off the pace clock for your 100 repeats, is the day where you've done the warm up. You're busting out the first hard session. You're starting to gap the person behind you. You touch the wall and the coach says, how about you shift into the next lane? And you say, how bad I do. <laughs> and you take your jolly sweet time to gather all of your little swim fins and paddles and pool boy. I'm gathering these to go there. So that transition takes about seven and a half minutes. It's more of a ceremony <laughs> than a transition. <laughs> 
When I read this account of, of James and John, not really understanding Jesus, not really understanding what he was telling them, and, 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 and only would I ask him stuff that, that wasn't really appropriate, it's interesting to me that Jesus still said to them, he didn't say yes, he said, I'll see what I can do. And for many people, if you ask them why they come to a church, they might say to you, I'm there to see what God can do. Because maybe, just maybe God's real. Maybe, just maybe if He's real, He can actually do some stuff. He's got some power. He may even have, uh, you know, be a little bit, when I read stuff in the Bible, some of that actually might be true. Some of what, what, what was credited to God in the past might actually happen again. So I'll tell you what, I come along, you're at the water cooler, I turn up on a Sunday because I, I just wanna see what God can do. Well, here's the thing. The disciples, they didn't understand Jesus very much. They didn't quite get who He was and what it was capable of. So they just started with a question that came with a response we're here to see what God can do. They started in lane one. At this point, when they asked Jesus this question, they were in lane one, which is a great place to start, at least you're in the water, but it's a terrible place to stop because it's lane one. And whilst you have some friends, some family, some colleagues, some neighbours that you've been investing in and inviting, it might be very, very appropriate for you to simply say to them with no promises, come along to my church, see what God can do. And they maybe, just maybe one day say, huh, okay then. And, then. and then God does nothing and they turn to you and go, well, that was a waste of time. And all you have to say was, I didn't make any promises. I didn't say you were gonna become a better swimmer. I just said... Turn up and jump in lane one. And let's see what happens. Great place to start, at least you're in the water, but it's a terrible place to stop. Well, Jesus kept on walking. He, he, he told these guys that they're idiots and it was a stupid question. And uh, I like that about Jesus. Oh, poor guys. No, idiots. And... Uh, Keeps walking. This is what happened next. They spent some time in Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples in a parade of people, Jesus' problems were often around crowd control. It's a problem that churches are meant to have. Too many people. A blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. When he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was passing by, he began to cry out. Now, let me just sidebar this as well, not in my notes. Bartimaeus was blind. It meant his eyes didn't work. It meant he couldn't do anything with his eyes. But whilst he couldn't do anything with his eyes, he could listen. He heard that Jesus was coming. His mouth was working, so he could cry out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, oi! And before we get on to what happens next, 
I just wanna highlight, this is where too many people get tripped up, is they're focused on what they don't have, focused on what isn't working, focused on what God hasn't given them yet, focused what, what, what what's broken. And, and, and because they're so focused on that and, and feeling sorry for themselves and the focus of their prayers are only around the stuff that's not working, they forget to use the stuff that they have got. And every single time in life, the, 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 the principle of stewardship, churchy word, it means managing God's stuff, the stuff He's entrusted to us, is do the best you can with what you have, where you're at. Promotion comes from doing the best you can with what you have, where you're at. Promotion doesn't come from sitting around doing nothing, waiting for the gap to be filled in. Promotion comes from doing the best you can I can't use my eyes, but I can use my ears. Jesus is coming. With what you have, I can't uh, see Him, but I can call out to Him because my mouth's working where you're at. He'd been there for a while, but it didn't stop Him taking a next step, crying out to Jesus. Son of David, Jesus, exclamation mark. Mercy, have mercy on me, exclamation mark. Many tried to hush Him up. So what happens when you get too passionate about Jesus? Some people will tell you you're too full on. Oh, you're too full on. When we fully understand, or as best we can, who Jesus really is, full on is the only appropriate response. Follow Him full gas. Yeah, it's a true story. Some churches don't have ushers, they have shushes. It's a really, really old and ter- very bad church joke. Shush, God's here. Shush, you might wake him up. <laughs> He's having a nap in the third row. And I love Bartimaeus's spunk. He yelled all the louder. Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over, and they called him. <laughs> it's your lucky day. Kaching, get up. He's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Jesus said, What can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Duh. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. And in that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed. Jesus down the road. See, Bartimaeus, he probably, I mean, when when Jesus was going around up to this point in time, he'd been doing a bunch of miracles, healing people, setting people free, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. People had been tweeting about it, blogging about it. Some people had live uh, streamed it on Periscope. So probably, not the Periscope bit, but probably, not the Twitter bit, probably, actually not the blogging bit because he couldn't see, some of Bartimaeus' friends had read the tweets and so on to Bartimaeus. And so Bartimaeus, he'd had a clue. He had an inkling. He started to have some insight into who Jesus really was and what Jesus really could do. So he rolled the dice. Oi, Jesus, I wanna see. Jesus asking the question, what can I do for you? Bartimaeus had had graduated. He was now in lane two. 
He had some insight into what Jesus, he, he knew Jesus could do something. See what God can do. He can do some things. I'm now calling out to Him to see what He can do for me because I'm blind and I wanna see. Problem with some people is they get stuck in lane two. Now it's good, you're no longer in lane one, you've been promoted, but, but people get stuck in lane two and the only prayers they pray are, God, I want you to do this for me. I want you to bless me. I want you to provide for me. It's great progression, but it's a terrible place to stop. Lane two. And I don't wanna sound elitist. I certainly don't feel this way about where we're at, but too many churches also stop in lane two. That it becomes more about who we're trying to keep than who we're trying to reach. It becomes more about who is here than who's not here. It more, becomes more about what, do, what, what music do we like and not what music does the person that we're trying to reach who needs to know Jesus and doesn't know Him yet like. And if we ever become that church, I will personally lock the doors. I will personally say to Tanya, who's our boss in this city, the Archbishopess, take, take the assets, they're all yours, give them to a church who's trying to reach some people because we're done. Even if people are still showing up, no, no. The moment we make lane two the goal, we're already done. We're done. It's over. But I'll tell you this as well. So long as I'm leading this church, which is at least another 50 years, that ain't ever gonna happen. Because outside of these walls right now are Bartimaeus's. People who need to see Jesus people who need to meet Jesus, people who need to, to be healed and restored and made whole. And guess whose job it is to meet them and find them and introduce them to Jesus? It's ours. Not just to sing pretty songs that Mark Pomery wrote, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Not really. So, so Bartimaeus, I think he prayed a better prayer than the disciples prayed but he was only in lane two. And if you get in lane two and stay in lane two, you're stuck, you're missing out and other people are missing out as well. So here's what I think is the better question that comes with a better answer. It's a lane three question. It's progression. I follow Jesus because I am interested. I wanna see, I wanna experience. I wanna be on the front lines. I wanna know what God can do through me. Because Mark actually in this little progression, there was three main characters. There was the disciples, they're in lane one. And it's a great place to start. You're in the water. You're around Jesus, you're orbiting, you're occasionally taking the same kind of steps that He takes, but, but don't, 
get stuck there. There's, there's a guy named Bartimaeus. He's another character in this story. He, he's progressed. He's up, he's up in lane two. He's been promoted. He's loving and He's asking a better question. I'm, I'm hanging around Jesus. I want Jesus' attention. I wanna get near Jesus because I, I wanna see what He can do for me. But do you know that the goal that God has set up for us isn't to ultimately become like the disciples? Ultimately. There's some things we can learn from them, some do's and some don'ts. There's some patterns we can observe in their lives and and, and apply in our lives. There's some patterns we can observe in their lives and don't do what they did. Peter, anyone? That's that's a joke for the the long-termers. We're not meant to be like Bartimaeus either, ultimately. Ultimately, we are like him because we've all got areas in our life that need healing, that are broken, that aren't working at God's best, God's ultimate, God's potential. So, so we can progress and we can and cry out to God, God, I need you to do this for me. But, but we're not ultimately called to be ultimately like Bartimaeus either. There's a third character that Mark records. And I reckon this is the guy that's having the most fun of all. His name is Jesus. And he's the one doing the healing. I mean, it's good to be Bartimaeus. If you couldn't see now, you can see, that's cool. But, but, but the better story is the one that did the healing. Bartimaeus gets to add to his CV, was blind, can now see. It's pretty good. Jesus gets to put on his CV, can make blind people see. Can rise from graves. Can cause other people to be raised from the dead. And the ultimate goal, the ultimate progression of following Jesus is to actually be transformed into His image and His likeness, to become like Jesus, not to become like the disciples, great place to start, terrible place to stop, not to become like Bartimaeus, great place to progress to, terrible place to stop, but ultimately to become like Jesus. And so the shift that has to happen, the shift that can happen, the shift that I believe God wants to happen for us, in us, is for us to be people, be a church who write this down as the answer around the water cooler. Why are you following Jesus? I follow Him because I, in my life on this planet, I wanna be used by Him. I wanna see what God can do through me. That is the answer that changes everything to the question, why are you following Jesus? And I'll finish with this. I don't know what you're all are thinking. Sometimes I wish I did. Sometimes I'm glad I don't. But I do know that some people, when presented with this shift, with this invitation, are reluctant, are hesitant, Because they ask, they, 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 actually, they actually ask a different question, almost automatically. And, and they say, yeah, but, 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 but if, I, if, if the focus of my life is to see what God can do through me, 
What about when I need God to do things for me? Let me assure you that every one of the people in my swim squad that are in lane three can do everything that the swimmers in lane two can do and the swimmers in lane one can do. They're not called swimmers. They're called bobbers. (laughs) The people in lane three, they have no intention of going back to lane two. Because once you experience life in lane three, you're not fussed about lane two. I mean, you might be fussed in terms of investing in them, but you, you, you don't want to regress to that point. And, and, and here's the thing. Jesus made a very incredible promise. Some people think it weighs heavy on them when they hear this, but it shouldn't weigh heavy. It's actually very freeing. He said to us, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And when you do that, all these other things will be added to you as well by Him. As we make the shift to being people who live with the purpose of seeing what God will do through us, He promises to meet all our needs because actually, guess what? We're not the source. We don't have to be fixated on our needs. When we've progressed to lane three, God takes care of us while we open ourselves up to be used by Him. Let me ask one more question before we move on this morning. And it's the question of whether you are yet following Jesus. I've preached this whole message around the presumption that you're following Jesus. And then if somebody asks you around the water cooler, photocopier, whatever, tomorrow, what you did, and you say, I went along to a church. They say, why? And you might, you might be, I don't even know. Then I just went to see what, what God could do. Cool, great. We're glad you're here. We're also gonna give you an opportunity right now to follow Him, an opportunity to make a decision to to follow Him. And uh, all I want you to do in a moment for those that need to make this decision is just, I just want you to put your hand up and when you put your hand up, I'll see it, you can put it down. You're just saying, yeah, that's me, God. I wanna follow you this morning, making that decision today. And you put it down, we'll quickly pray. We'll keep rolling. We don't want you to miss this opportunity. We don't want you to leave here without at least having this opportunity. And I can't encourage you strongly enough to take this opportunity. Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna see what you can do. I wanna see what you can do for me. And boy, I'd love to ultimately continue to follow you to get to that place where you're doing things through me. So for those of you that need to make that decision this morning, just put your hand up quickly I'll put, and put it down. I'll see it and then we'll pray.